Our reading for this evening is taken from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 to 37. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you'll hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today? he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got up on the bed and lay upon the boy mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. 
Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got onto the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Wonderful. Good evening. Um, my name's Stuart, um, if we haven't met before. And um, yes, this is a, not a commonly preached on passage. wonder how many uh, times you've heard a sermon on this, uh, this little passage. But we have been looking in these evening uh, sermons at looking at life from odd angles. And so tonight we're going to be looking at life and we're going to be looking at God from the angle of this, this woman uh, from the town of Shunem. And uh, I've certainly enjoyed studying it and I hope we'll learn a lot from it. So will you pray with me as we, as we come to look at that? Lord, I thank you that your word is chock full of different people meeting you in different ways of how you reached into people's lives and taught them new things about you. And we pray that as we zoom into this little story, this tiny little extract from the book of Kings, you would encourage us and you would teach us tonight. Give us open hearts to what you want to say tonight. Amen. Wonderful. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard of uh, George Muller. Um, George Muller is one of my spiritual heroes. Uh, I just read everything about him there is to, to, to read. He was a church leader and a preacher in Bristol in the 1800s, and he was a pretty incredible guy. Um, over his time, he saw his three little churches grow from a weekly attendance of 18 to 1,000, and he saw like 3,000 people become Christians over that time. Uh, but not only that, he founded an organization uh, that did all kinds of extraordinary things. They distributed over 2 million Bibles worldwide. They established 112 schools across England uh, to educate people. He was like, kids need to read the Bible. Kids can't read. Let's build 112 schools. Um, and then he, uh, he also sent, they sent and supported over 100 missionaries worldwide. And that isn't even the half of it. The thing that he's really famous for is the orphanages, the massive orphanages that he founded in Bristol, which in a time when there was no social system, uh, supported over 10,000 orphans during uh, his lifetime. Extraordinary man. Um, and uh, if you haven't read one of his autobiographies or something, then you should go and, and read it. It's, a, it's amazing. But I wanted to zoom in and mention him at the beginning of this talk, because not because of all the incredible things he's done, but actually because of how he became a Christian. It really caught me out when I first read about it. He records it in, in one of his diaries. Um, he talks about how he just got back from one of his crazy pleasure cruises uh, with some of his friends. They've been going wild and enjoying themselves. Uh, when one of his friends um, uh, from, from, from town invited him to come to a Christian group meeting in somebody's home, which and he was not a Christian, but he found himself intrigued, so he went along. And in his diary, he records two really, really simple things that just totally blew him away. 
and actually led to him going home after that evening and giving his life to Christ. Two really simple things. And he records in his diary these two things. The first thing that blew him away was the welcome that he received in the house. Uh, At the end of the evening, the old man, whose house it was, said to him as he left, come as often as you please. Our house and our hearts are open to you. Come as often as you please. Our house and our hearts are open to you. And the second thing that blew him away was the way that this group of people prayed. He watched them praying, and particularly the old man at the end. And he remarks in his diary, uh, although I have so much more education than this man, I could not pray as well as him. He just realized he just didn't know the God that this man was praying to, and he wanted to, and he went home. And that was the beginning of his uh, amazing ministry. And I love that story because it's a story, it's a story about how a very normal man and his family, not spiritual super giants, but a very normal family, got kind of swept up and used by God in what turned out to be an amazing and incredible work of God just because they were willing to open their home and their hearts to this guy. And I just love that. And that is what our passage tonight is kind of about. That's why I mention it. Elisha was a spiritual supergiant. He was. He was one of the greatest prophets that Israel ever saw. If you read his story, it is extraordinary from start to finish. It's a story of miracles and of kings and of nations and of chariots of fire and of armies of angels and all kinds of things. He was a spiritual supergiant. But our passage tonight as we zoom in, although it includes him, I'm not actually sure he's the main character in it. Instead, it focuses in on a really normal woman and her family. And she's not a great prophet or a superstar. But because she is faithful, she gets swept up into the unused in the wonderful and extraordinary work that God was doing. And I find that encouraging. Because I don't know about you, but I'm relatively normal. And uh, I think most of us here sitting here would say, yep, you know, give or take 5%. I'm relatively normal. And... We know that God does raise up Elisha's, he raises up George Muller's in our generation to do extraordinary things. And may he raise up many, many more. Let's keep praying for that. But most of us love God, but we aren't super, super prophets. So what can we learn from this woman about how God might want to use us? And I just want to begin by picking out two things that I see her doing that I think every one of us could do in some way. Two things that every one of us could do. The first thing I see her doing is she opens her eyes. She opens her eyes. Right from the beginning, as we get reading into that story, the first thing we we see about her, um, which is in one sense a very normal thing, but in another sense turns out to be an amazing thing, is that she has her eyes open to what's going on around her and particularly what God is doing around her. She was on the lookout for opportunities to bless God's people and bless God's work. And what I just want us to notice is this lady didn't have some incredible 
word from the Lord. There wasn't an angel that stood in front of her and said, Shunammite woman, you must, my servant Elijah is coming and you must invite him into your house and you must give him X, Y, and Z and he likes apples. And, you know, that is not actually how this story begins. Now, actually, we see this lady, she does two very simple things. She observes and then serves. She observes and then serves. First of all, she has her natural eyes open. She's looking around. She notices things going on around her. Elisha probably, well, we're told he did pass through uh, Shunem quite often. Um, he lived in Gilgal, which was in the south. Uh, but he often had to go to the north to Mount Carmel to offer sacrifices there. So this was a regular business trip for Elisha. And I imagine that the first time Elisha came through town, this lady didn't particularly necessarily know who he was or know much about him. But as a faithful Jew, she was on the lookout to be hospitable. She noticed him. She noticed that he needed somewhere to stay. And she takes the time and she invites him home for a meal. Then she notices him the next time and invites him back for another meal. She just had her eyes open to what was going on around her. But she also had her spiritual eyes open to what was going on. Over that time, as Elijah kept coming, she was on the lookout and she began to notice this isn't a normal guy. Maybe she uh, checked him up on Google. Maybe she looked at his uh, LinkedIn account. Or maybe she just spoke to Gehazi a bit. And she began to realize this, this guy, he's a man of God. And the business he's coming through here on, he, he's, he's doing work for God. And at that point, she asks herself a really, really simple question. How can I help? How can I serve this, this person? And notice it's not earth-shattering. It's not sell everything and move or anything. It's just very simple. She thinks and she goes to her husband. She says, husband dear, uh, if you've got a moment, um, you know we're not using that spare roof, you know. Um, well, you know, that guy we've seen a couple of times, keeps coming for dinner. Um, you know, he's actually, he's a great guy. He, he, he's a godly guy and he's doing God's work. You know, wouldn't it just be great you know, we just spruce up the roof, and, uh, and then we could just say to him, look, when you're passing through, don't worry about which town you're going to stay, stay at and who you're gonna, where you're going to stay. Just, just feel welcome here and stay here every time. It's really simple. She just has her eyes open, natural eyes and spiritual eyes. She just observes and looks to serve. And I guess I just want to say, you know, sometimes we make this serving God thing too complicated and too super spiritual. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that God sometimes speaks to us amazingly to call us to serve in places or do things. I'm a card-carrying charismatic. I've had that happen in my own life. But what I'm just trying to say is sometimes we also just need to learn the simplicity of observing and then looking to serve. What is God doing around me? Where, where is he at work? Where is he using someone or something? And how can I help? What have I got in my hands? What, how can I get behind this? Maybe we've got skills. Maybe we're a lawyer or an accountant or a teacher. Can we offer them 
Maybe to serve the church. Maybe to serve someone else who's doing God's work. Maybe to serve someone in need. Maybe we've got resources. It's a, a car. We could give someone a lift to the shops regularly or someone a lift to church regularly if they need it. Or maybe we do literally have a spare room or a spare roof that we could use. In the church that I uh, grew up in, in uh, good old Chertsey, hub of the world, um, uh, I'll never forget, forget a guy uh, called Adrian. And uh, Adrian became a Christian while I was there at the church. And I, I remember it distinct, distinctly. Adrian was a burger van man. Um, he owned uh, uh, one of those big burger vans like you'll see in the market uh, if you go out now. And, it, you know, he... That's, that was his job. At lunchtimes, he would go to businesses, and in the evenings, he'd be out on the street, and he'd serve burger and chips and, and all the rest. And he became a Christian. And I remember about six months after he became a Christian, in one of the prayer meetings we were having as a church, he just stood up and he said, I declare that my burger van belongs to the Lord. Uh, he says, I belong to the Lord, and so my burger van belongs to the Lord. How can we use it? And, you know, he really meant it. And he, he went, came to the church and he said to the church, how can, I, how can I use my van? That's what I've got. Is there any parts of town that you're trying to reach, that you're struggling to reach? And um, they said, well, actually, no, we are. We don't have many people coming from that side of town and we struggle to reach that part of town. So he was like, great. Well, it doesn't matter to me where I set up, um, which probably wasn't really true. But anyway, and then he just set up there in that part of town. And he just handed out invitations to events and gospel tracts and just anything. It was wonderful. And then he came back and he said, what else can I do? He said, well, you know, we run a kids club in the summer. And, you know, at the end of it, we like to have a big celebration and we invite all the guests. And it's great to be able to host these people and send them off well. Um, but we, you know, would you like to help with the cooking? Yes. So there was Adrian with his burger van serving. And he said, you know, just give me the money. I'll do it at cost. You know, uh, you give me the money for what it will cost, but I won't charge you anything. And of course, it was not long before uh, our church was full of people who had a connection with, with Adrian, the burger van man. And it was awesome, and it was so encouraging. But he didn't do anything complicated. He just had his eyes open. He just observed, what, what was God doing? What's, what, where, and how could, what have I got? How can I serve? That lady had a spare room. Adrian had a van. I just wonder what we have. And have we got our eyes open to see how God might want to use it? That's the first thing. This lady had her eyes open. The second thing I see, which we've mentioned already a bit, but I want to zoom in on. She opens her eyes, but she also opens her home. She opens her home. And I want to focus on this. Particularly, first of all, because I think it is something that many of us can do. We do have some form of place we can invite people into. But the other reason I want to focus on it is because actually the scriptures talk surprisingly often about this. Surprisingly often about opening our homes to one another. I just want to read a few passages from the New Testament, and there are many others beside about this. Paul writes in Romans 12, Share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Peter, in, in his first letter, writes, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, grumbling. Why is it so important? Why does it come so often in Scripture 
to open our homes to one another and to those on the outside. I don't think it's just about, you know, getting the front door open. I think it's something about sharing our lives with one another. You know, um, this hope that we have, uh, what God has given us, is it, he doesn't just call us to kind of give each other an hour on a Sunday and then step away or, or, or just to tell people about what's going and then shut the door. Jesus came and he shared his life with us. And when we look at the way that he, he, he discipled his disciples, he lived with them and ate with them and he shared his life with them. Last year, I was thinking a lot about discipleship um, over the summer, and this verse really stuck out, stuck out to me that I've had on my mind ever since. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, because we loved you so much, we delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And um, I just want to just put it out there that opening our homes is, is particularly powerful. Mike, Mike Pilavachi, many of you will have heard of Mike, um, talks about this quite often from the front. Um, he had a really tough upbringing, um, and when he became a Christian as a sort of young person, a, a couple at his church loved him back together over many years. And one of the ways they did that was literally opening their home to him. They gave him a key to the back door, and he says, looking back, I must have been such a pain. I just turned up all times of night and day, and they fed me, and they fed me, and they loved me, and they loved me. And slowly, they loved him back together. And I can say this in my own life as well. My youth leader, Gerard, um, from Old Chetsy, um, just had a huge impact on my life huge impact. And, I, and part of the reason is that he didn't just give me, you know, an hour on a Sunday and an hour on a Friday evening at youth group. You know, he opened his home to me and I got to know his family and his life. You know, he cooked me endless bacon sandwiches. And as we ate them, we would talk about the Bible and all the bits that were hard to read. He'd invite me to go to the movies with, with him. And, you know, in the queue for popcorn or doing the tra trailers, we would talk about how I was struggling to pray. You know, and then he taught me to arc weld and angle, angle grind and strip down diesel engines. And over summer after summer, I slowly caught his love for Jesus. And I just saw into his life. And it changed me. And of course, of course, we know that we have to have healthy boundaries. And of course, we know that we can't do this with everybody. But I just want to put it out there. That again and again, the, the scriptures talk about the power and the importance of opening our homes and our lives to one another. And particularly to newcomers, to the church, to, to, to um, the city, to those on the edge, and to those that God have put around us. I think it is true that churches that turn inwards, um, that lock the doors, they go spiritually stale and sour, like stagnant water. And I think it's true of people and families as well. We just shut down. Trying to just hold on to God's blessing just for ourselves and shut the doors doesn't actually bring life. Part of the way we combat that is to open our hearts and open our lives. It doesn't have to be a dinner party every time. It don't have to be a three-course meal with polished silver and all the rest. Because if that's, if that's what we think, then 
maybe we're just trying to impress. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that. What is it? How can we open our lives to people? Maybe in a much simpler way. This lady just does two very simple things. She opens her eyes and then she opens her home. To finish though, I want to just uh, focus in on why. Why is it worth doing this? The reason I want to just focus in on that is because um, what I've just said, open your eyes, have a look, maybe open your home and invite, it's not complicated, it's not rocket science. So why is it that we don't do it? And mainly it's because it's costly. It's just costly to do this. If we're offering our skills or talents, it's gonna take time to serve or do something. It just takes time, sometimes a lot of time. If you offer your resources to serve the church or any, any, anyone else, you'll have less resources. Surprise! <laughs> and it's even more costly, isn't it, to let people into our lives. That is, that's another level of costly, um, actually. And I'm under no illusions about this. Um, my, my, my parents uh, are amazing uh, followers of Jesus and, and, and have modeled that in many ways over the years. But one of, the, one of the ways they've done this is by, I've watched them open their homes year in, year out, uh, their home to, to people. Um, for free, all kinds of people who've needed lodging, um, uh, needed somewhere to stay, whether it be for a month or whether it be for a year. And I can say, looking back, for all the people that came through our home, that it was a real mixed bag. <laughs> you know, there are a few like, wow, that was a joy. We really, it was just, we got on like a house on fire and it was great and it was full of life. The majority were like, well, that was a good thing to do, but, um, you know, we never really kind of got on and, you know, but it was good. And then there were a few that were just like, that was a disaster. Seriously, you know, just sometimes destructive, um, ungrateful, um, you know, just some really bad experiences of that. But my parents have just kept doing it. Why? Why have they just kept opening their eyes to people who, who, who need help and then opening their lives when it's so costly? And I just want to draw out two, very briefly, two, two reasons why, which we see from this passage. First one is this. If we open our eyes and open our homes, we will see God's reward. We will see God's reward for doing that. Um, the Shunammite woman here, she didn't set out to bless Elisha or help Elisha because she wanted a reward. In fact, when Elisha offers a reward, she turns it down. She doesn't need repayment. But nonetheless, it's worth stepping back and noticing how much God blesses her in this passage. As a result of her obedience, first of all, we see she's given a son. Um, she doesn't really ask for one, but we do see that it was really on her heart to, 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 to have a son. And an incredible miracle occurs. But also we see later on when the story picks up in chapter 8 that God also looks after her and her family. Um, there's a famine and God looks after her not only as she, she goes and as she comes back, she receives her land back because of what God's doing. In other words, when we take a step back, we see that she's choosing to provide for Elisha, but the bigger picture is God is providing for her. 
And you know that's so important to notice. If the kind of generosity, the kind of hospitality that God calls us to is radical, is costly, we need to remember again and again that God's response to this in the scripture is to say to us that I've got your back. You won't be shortchanged. He's promised the provision to do that as we do it, and he's also promised reward for doing that. I just want to read a few passages on this topic because it's not good enough for me to just say this. You just need to hear what God says about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes, God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times and uh, and in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work. God loves a a joyful giver, a cheerful giver, and then he says, and he's able to provide as you're generous. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, command those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, be generous, share, be hospitable, and I will reward you on the last day. And actually, on this, specifically on this topic of costly hospitality, Jesus said this, when you give a banquet, don't just invite those who can in, invite you back, but invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at, at the resurrection of the righteous. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. And some of us just need to hear that tonight. You know, God says, well done for what you've done. Well done. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the cost. I know, I know what it's cost to let people into your lives and your, and your homes and, and things like that. But I won't forget it and you won't regret it. God says, I, I, I'm able to provide and I certainly will reward you as you give yourself to those who can't repay you. But then finally, and just as importantly, the second reason why we should do this is we will get to see God at work as we do. We'll get to see God at work as we do. You know, so much about this story and about this miracle baffles me. You know, I read all the commentaries. It still baffles me. I don't know. Why did God let this son die in the first place? Why does Gehazi's prayer not work and we have to wait for Elisha? Why does Elisha have to stretch himself out on this boy? That is certainly not HT-sanctioned prayer ministry technique. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be off the team in no time if you try that. Um, why the seven sneezes? No idea. I have no idea. But I tell you what I do see and what I do know. This lady's relationship with God will not have been the same at the end as it was at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, she'd heard about Elisha. Maybe she read about what the great things that God had done uh, out there. But now, at the end of this, she has her own story. Do you think she went around the neighborhood and talked about God in this, with her friends in the same way after this than God had raised her son from the dead than, than before? No. She had seen 
God at work. She'd opened her home that had been incredibly costly in the end, but she'd also seen God at work. And here's the thing. God has a way of being at work in our lives as we give ourselves to his work in other people's lives. He has a way of blessing us as we look to bless other people. It's as if when we choose to be conduits of what God's doing uh, in his people among us or, 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 or outside of the church, it's, it's as if we're conduits of his, his blessing. And as it flows through us, we get wet. And we get to hear and see stories of God at work. Many years ago, I learned that one of my favorite things to do was to help on the Alpha course. You know, and when I first started helping on the Alpha course, which is an amazing course to, that we run here at HT to... Um, uh, Invite people to come and explore the Christian faith. When I first started doing it, I thought, oh, I'm doing such a good job. I'm really, I'm really serving. You know, look at me. Oh, great. Um, okay, I'm having it up. I didn't think like that exactly. But slowly I came to think, gee, I'm feeling a bit spiritually down. You know what I need? I need to help on an Alpha course. Because I learned that there's nothing more exciting than seeing people come alive with faith and discover it for the first time. And, you know, I could repeat that a thousand times, talking to you about how as we get involved in what God is doing in other people's lives, and as we open our lives to people because God has asked us to do it, we get to hear and see stories of God at work that otherwise would be at a distance. If we don't want to go stale and stagnant in our own lives, one of the things we can do is learn just to open our eyes to what God's doing around us and see how we can get Involved, And I love also that not only does this woman get to see God at work in her own life, as she has her own little story, but she gets to be part of God's great work. You know, for all time she's recorded here. You know, I bet Elisha, when he went round on his preaching tours, super prophet Elisha, I bet he told this story pretty often. Hey, you want a story of God doing something awesome? Let me tell you about what he did for the Shunammite woman who gave me her spare room. He preached about that, I'm sure. And she's all time, for all time, she's in the scriptures to encourage us. She's a normal lady, but because she opened her eyes and opened her home, she got to be part of God's great work. We don't have to be Elisha's either. Although maybe God will make you an Elisha, I don't know. But until then, maybe we can still see God at work Have we got our eyes open to what he's doing? Have we got the humility to not just not be the star of the show? We don't have to be the star of the show, but just to see how we can get involved. Have we got the creativity to think about what God's given us and how we can connect that to what he's doing? It will be worth it, even if it's costly. We'll see God's provision in our own lives, and we'll get to see, we'll have the life-giving joy of getting to see him at work in us, around us, and through us. And there's really not much more that we can hope for than that. Let me pray for us as we finish. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement of this story. Um, And Lord, I thank you for so many generous people over the ages through whom you've been at work. I thank you for uh, the many people in this church who've done this again and again. 
And we pray that you would encourage us, spur us on again this evening to, to just be open-hearted about what you've given us uh, and open-hearted with our own lives. Lord, we want to see you at work. We want to have our own story of you being at work around us. We pray that you would help us to see where we can bless, encourage, strengthen, put our shoulders behind what you're doing. And would you meet us and provide for us as we do that? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.